I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his uncomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And our second reading is in First Thessalonians four thirteen to 18. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of manca- mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Ah! Getting caught off guard sucks, doesn't it? Getting caught off guard, man. You got to watch out for that. Tell you what, I've been caught off guard a lot this week, I reckon. Uh, started off, uh, it was the first night. I'm staying in a cabin with Jono, and I thought, this is going to be a good time. Jono's a good bloke. We're going to have a good time, all right? And so we're unpacking our stuff. We're getting ready for bed on the first night. We're ready to, you know, just get into bed and get snuggled. Different beds. That's all right. All right, different beds. We're just snuggling up. It's going to be all right. Uh, And as we're kind of about to roll over, he was like, just letting you know, my wife says I snore a little bit. And I was like, oh, that's all right, it's probably not that bad, like that. And he goes, anyway, good night. Like, straight away. No lead time, no warning. I, I thought he was trolling for a second, but he was not. He was just out like a light. The snoring began, and I was just like, and so it begins, like... This is, this is my life now. <laughs> but I was not ready. I was not ready for that. But it continues. It continues, right? Just tonight, just tonight, I was having dinner and I fell into the trap of the newest craze that apparently started today of seagulling. Check out this video. It's spreading. Seagulling. <laughs> it was crazy. The same thing happened to me. I, was, I had my ice cream in my hand, and Ethan was like, I was like, hey, dude, what's up? And Scott just goes, seagulled. I was like, 
ice cream. <laughs> like, I was not ready. I was caught off guard. Maybe that was you in our game yesterday. Maybe you made a little posse. You had your mates, you're like, let's be an alliance. And you're like going around like alliancing or whatever you're doing. And then your mate turned on you. Did anyone have a teammate turn on them in that game? Oh, you weren't ready for that, were you? You guys got caught off guard. You don't want to get caught off guard. Now, over the past couple nights, we've spoken about big stuff, haven't we? We've spoken about some really big things. The two possible eternal destinations of every person. Every person who's ever lived in one of two places and a life now that, depending on how you live, decides that. And an event that's coming that you cannot be caught off guard by. That's what we're looking at tonight. We're looking at an event in time, one that is coming. Spoiler alert, it's got everything to do with Jesus, like most things here, right? And as we look at it tonight, I hope it becomes really crystal clear of the thing we've been looking at this week. We've said it heaps, right? We look into the future, the God of the future has shown us it, and as we look at it, it should shape every part of our life. And so as we look into this event that's coming in the future, my hope tonight is that all of our lives will be radically changed, every last bit of it. Because if you're not living right when this day comes you'll be caught off guard. And that is a serious thing. So let's pray and pray that as we read the Word tonight, that we would take it seriously and that God would show His truth to us. Let's pray. Father God, You are so good to us and we want to thank You that in Your mercy and Your kindness, You have given us Your Word. You've shown us what You like. We pray that as we come to it today, that we would do it humbly, sitting underneath what You've told us, And we pray that you would work by your spirit to lead us into truth. Amen. Amen. All right, well, come with me to Ephesians chapter 1. And here's the first big thing we're seeing tonight. What page are we on in the booklets? 16. Thank you very much. If you're taking notes, you should be. Here's the first big thing. Jesus is actually the ruler of everything now. Right now. Ephesians chapter 1 was read for us so incredibly before. So good. Yeah, reading. (laughs) Halfway through verse 19, it's talking about the power in us who believe, and it says, that power is the same as the mighty strength when he, God, that he got exerted, when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills fills everything in every way. Now, it's a bit tricky to work out, right? But this is telling us what happened to Jesus after he died, after he rose again and appeared to people. What happened? 
God raised him and seated him in the heavenly realms. He is seated at the right hand of God. He's in a seat, not just any seat, not just one of these Burundong seats. Whenever I say Burundong, I add this weird flex at the end of it. It's super weird, right? But he's not in any seat. He's at the seat that is the right hand of God, the place of power, the place of victory. Jesus is the king. That's what, that's what he's doing. And he's going to be the king forever. You can see that in verse 21. He's far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Jesus is the forever king. He is the king now, even though we don't see it. He rules everything now, and he's going to rule it forever. And this forever king was this character expected throughout the whole Bible, the whole Old Testament. 2 Samuel chapter 7 is a big part of the Bible where it talks about this king who's going to come and is going to reign forever, forever and ever. A bunch of Psalms speak about a king like this, a couple of Psalm 2 and a Psalm 110, you can check them out later, all about a forever king. Check out Daniel chapter 7. This is a prophecy about Jesus. I think it's coming up on the slides. Nice. This is a prophecy about Jesus, right? He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The forever king. That's our king. That's what Jesus is doing. You don't follow the Jesus who was just killed and stayed dead. That's not a Jesus. (laughs) Jesus was killed, raised to life, and now is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly realms, ruling every single thing right now. That's your king. That's your God. Which means if you are a follower of that king, if you're a Christian, no matter what the future brings, you can trust him so much. You can trust him so much. He's got it. As we go through life, it's easy to feel like stuff's out of control. Have you had that feeling? That things aren't going the way you thought or you planned, that there's chaos. Sometimes it looks like evil's actually winning, that bad stuff is everywhere. We have an uncertainty about what our life might look like. I don't know what I'm going to do when I leave school. I don't even know what I'm going to do next week. I'm just freaking out. I don't know what my life is going to look like. The one we follow rules everything forever. He controls it. He's got it. Isn't that a comforting thing? The one who loves us so deeply is forever in control of everything. The forever king. But remember, we're looking at an event, and the event has everything to do with that forever king. And so what is it? What's the event we're speaking about? Here's the second big thing for tonight. The king will return. The king will return. This is the type of event that changes everything. Some events change nothing. This changes everything everything. There's a day coming when Jesus, the forever king, is coming back to earth. 
the king of the universe, returning here. Come with me now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that we read earlier. It's in and amongst all the T's. Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus. We looked at this book last year at youth. Now, the Thessalonians, as you're flicking there, they're kind of worried about their mates, uh, their mates who have died. And Paul, who wrote this, is trying to tell them, trying to comfort them. Don't worry about it, because he's trying to tell them, you've got a hope that no one else has. And he tells them about this day. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Jesus is coming back. The return of the King. Lord of the Rings fans, am I right, you know? This is the day that we're speaking about. The day when Jesus will come back, when he will return. And this is the day that we looked at a little bit last night, right? This is the day when everyone will be judged. Every person, every deed, judged on this day when Jesus returns. No one's escaping it. Those who have died will be raised to life and judged. Those who are alive when he comes, he will judge them. It's a thorough judgment, every person, every deed. This is the day when people will either be condemned forever to hell or put in glory forever with the Lord. This is a big, big day. And no one's going to miss it. Check out verse 6. When he comes down, oh, not uh, 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. <laughs> prank, 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 right? <laughs> the thing about that is no one missed it. No one missed it. He's coming down in a way that no one is going to miss. No one's escaping this day. It's a universal day. It's an every person day. No one's missing out. The day is coming soon when Jesus, the King, will return. Now, for anything like me, you've got a question at that point. And the question is, when is it? When is that day? And people for so long have tried to work out when this day is, right? Some wackos, some normal people. One guy who loved a good old prediction was a guy called Robert Wineland. Funky name, right? Robert Wineland, uh, he founded an organisation and it was called The Church of God Preparing for the Kingdom of God. Cogbukuga. There's an acronym for you. It's a very catchy title. His first prediction... Here is his first prediction. He did the maths. He looked around the books and he said, all right, I know it. September 20, 2011. Lock it in your diaries, he said. And everyone waited. September 20, maybe, like, maybe it's an afternoon gig. Like maybe it's coming, an afternoon came. Maybe it's an evening gig. Like it's coming. It's got to... And then the clock struck 
And it was the next day, and nothing happened, right? That didn't go so well. And so he goes, oh, no, 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 no. Sorry, I got the maths wrong. And he made a second prediction. The day is actually May the 27th, 2012. So they're like, all right, well, got to go find another job again now, I guess. So they go and do that. Again, that one didn't go so well, right? And so he goes, no, no, I'll give it another crack. May 18, 2013. Nah. All right, not, not having it again. I'll, I'll, I'll give him something, right? He's wrong, but he's a persistent dude. All right, he's making a lot of predictions. He's made a latest one. It's pretty soon. It's in June this year. June 8th this year. Keep your ear holes peeled for that one, am I right? Like, <laughs> someone tells me nothing's going to happen on that day. This guy's, this guy's got no idea what he's talking about. But he's just one example So many people have spent so much time trying to work out exactly when this day is going to come, exactly when it's going to happen. The question is, can we know when Jesus will return? Can we know that? Well, let's let's see what the Bible says, right? Stay in 1 Thessalonians and look in just the next chapter, chapter 5. Paul's answering pretty much this question, can we know? says, now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord, that's the day Jesus comes back, will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them. It's going to be unexpected. People aren't going to be ready for it. It's going to be like a thief in the night. No one gets home after having their house robbed and goes, knew it. Knew I was going to get robbed tonight. How expected, right? It's unexpected. It's going to be like a thief in the night. No one knows when Jesus is going to come back, right? Mark 13, verse 32, it's talking about this day, this hour, this moment. It says, about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You don't know when that time will come. The Bible doesn't get much clearer, right? We don't know when Jesus will return. And so when you hear, and you will, people saying that they know the day that Jesus is coming back, because you know what the Bible says, you go, no, you don't. We can't know when Jesus will return. And sometimes those people are actually trying to be helpful. They really think they know, but they're just misguided. Some people are trying to be deceitful and trick you and lie to you and you don't need to be fooled because you know what the Bible says. We can't know when Jesus will return. But in saying this, uh, there are signs that the Bible gives us, things that have to happen before Jesus comes back. All right, I'm not going to go through them all uh, one by one. There's a slide that's coming up. It's a bit of a summary. If this bores you, have a quick nap. But here they are, right? The gospel has to be preached to all nations before Jesus can return. The great tribulation, that's a crazy time with hectic suffering. False prophets working signs and wonders, signs in the heavens and a a crazy dude, the man of sin and lawlessness and a great salvation of the Jews, heaps of Jews coming to believe in Jesus. These are things that the Bible says has to happen before Jesus comes back. You can make sure you check up those verses, test them. But when I see that, that's one side of the coin, right? When I, when I see that, when I hear that, I go, hold on a second. 
the Bible keeps talking about Jesus coming at any second. Like he can come soon, real soon. We're to be on guard, alert, he's coming soon. Like uh, Hebrews 10, the day is drawing near. Sounds real close. James 5, the coming of the Lord is at hand. He's standing at the doors. 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is at hand. It's close. Revelation 1, the time is near. And three times in Revelation 22, it says, Jesus says, I am coming soon. The push of the Bible is, be ready, Jesus is coming real soon. And so how do you hold those things together? You can't just ditch one, can you? The Bible's telling you both. There are, the, there are a bunch of things that have to happen before Jesus returns. And he can come soon. He is coming soon. It's a tricky thing to work out, right? It's possible, it's possible that all of those things that we looked at before have already happened. It's a possible thing. It's also possible that they haven't happened. <laughs> I think it's quite tricky and hard to know. But here's the thing. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> Jesus could return. They, those things that need to happen could happen in a short space of time, and so Jesus could return soon. He could return in your lifetime. Jesus could return in our lifetime. People spend their time arguing about, can he return at any moment? Maybe we have to wait heaps and heaps of years because all those things need to happen. Here's the thing. You can die at any second. People die unexpectedly all the time and the result's the same. If G when Jesus comes back, you will sit there and he will judge you and you will be condemned to hell or be in glory forever. When you die you will still be judged by Jesus and you will either be condemned to hell forever or you'll be in glory with him forever. We've seen those destinations over the past couple nights. It's big. And so regardless of the actual moment that is happening, the actual day, the actual time, we've got to live with a sense of urgency, don't we? Because death can come at any time and the result is the exact same. Sitting before the king of the universe now, King Jesus, who's coming back. We need to act like we are on the edge of time, the edge to our eternal destination. We've got to live with this sense of urgency because Jesus will return soon and usher in that new age or we'll die. Both of which we don't know when it's happening. And so the question we'll ask tonight, and remember, this is the thrust of this whole series. We've seen the future. We've seen what's coming. How should I live? How should I live? How should this change me? If we leave this week knowing a couple more things, and that's it, not a good week. This stuff should change the things that we do. It should change our lives. And so how does knowing that King Jesus will return soon change the way that we live here and now? There's three big things we're going to look at. The first is pretty quick. Make sure you're in his kingdom. If you're not a Christian, you don't need to worry about anything else we're talking about. This is yours. I'm talking to you. Knowing that Jesus 
right now rules the universe and he will forever and he's coming back soon to judge you should mean that you've got to get in his kingdom. You've got to trust in Jesus. That king is the one that you've rejected. He's the one we've sinned against. He's the one who has died for us and we still reject. And he's the one judging you? That's terrifying. Trust in Jesus. We looked at it last night. He has died in your place. He has done everything necessary for you to be saved from hell to heaven in glory forever. Make sure you're in the kingdom. Here's the second one. Come with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. I always miss where 1 Peter is. There it is. 1 Peter 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 11. And as we read this, I want you to look for something. I want you to look and notice the, the words that Peter uses here to describe Christians. What are the words he uses? They're pretty funky. 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. What are the words he used there to describe Christians? Friends and then foreigners and exiles. That's a weird way to talk about people, right? Strangers, foreigners, temporary residents. What he's saying here is the second big thing. Remember, here is not your home. Here is not your home. Could you imagine if we just set up Dubbo to be home? I love Dubbo. It's actually treating me quite well, right? But we're just here for a bit. Imagine if we just started setting it up as home. We go to get on the bus back home, and some of you are like, nah. Nah, actually, nah. I'm going to live in this tent now. It's who I am. And we're like, no, what? You have a house? He's like, nah, tent tent. This is my home. I'm like, well, um, I, all right, what are you going to do? It's like, work at the jail or the zoo. I think that's all that's here. I don't know. I'll get a job there, I guess. Here's my home now. I'll, ma- I'll make it work. And you're like, okay. Like, how are you going to look after yourself? And you just, they just walk up to one of the staff members here and they're like, you, you're my mum now. Here is my home. And you're like, this is, What? This is not your home. We're here for a bit. The Central Coast is your home. Get on the bus, you goose. And they go, okay, and they get on the bus, right? (laughs) That would be weird, right? But here's the thing. The Central Coast isn't even our home. New South Wales isn't our home. Australia is not our home. This earth is not our home. Heaven is our home. And when Jesus returns, you will go to be with the Lord forever. You'll go home. Here is not our home. In the meantime, on earth, we're strangers. We're foreigners. We're exiles. We're tourists. We're here on earth for a short time before we go home. We're just tourists. 
Dubbo is not our home. We're tourists here, but earth is not our home. If you trust in Jesus, heaven is your home. Dubbo is not as nice as the coast, right? There's no beaches here. I like, there's no reception here, all right? <laughs> Amen, right? <laughs> the coast is better. Uncontroversial opinions. <laughs> the coast is better. Heaven is better than this earth. Our real home is better. Look forward to going home. But you'll be with the Lord forever. When you pray, do you, do you long for Jesus to come back? Please, Lord Jesus, come back soon. Take me to be home. Is that your prayer? The second last verse of the whole Bible is this. He who testifies to these things, Jesus, says, Yes, I am coming soon. And the writer says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Is that you? Come on, Lord Jesus. Come soon. Is that your hope? We, we live in such a beautiful part of creation, don't we? It's really easy to feel like this is it and this is home. The world is full of stuff that's trying to go, no, no, here's your home. Just get comfy here. No, 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 look here. Get comfy. But it's not our home. Look forward to when Jesus will come back and take you to go to your real home forever. Don't be fooled about here. Here we're just a tourist. You know, you can usually spot a tourist as well. I want to play a game with you. It's called Spot the Tourist. All right. Our first little uh, game of Spot the Tourist, we're going off to Italy. Now, here's what I want you to do. On the count of three, I want you to yell out the number of which one you think the tourist is. So number one is that kind gentleman on the left. And number two are these bunch of geese. All right. So on, on the count of three, I want you to yell out the number. Which one is the tourist? One, two, three. Which one is it? It's two. It's two. No real Italian is like, I tell you what we're going to do today. Go check out that weird falling over tower, right? And we'll do this and we'll get a photo. <laughs> they don't care about it. Just the tourists care about it, right? Spot the tourists. Next one. We're going over to America. Going over to America. Now, this one's a real tricky one. No leaning tower of Pisa on this one, right? On the count of three, which one's the tourist? One, two, three. Yeah. Which one is it? Okay, let me tell you what the giveaway there is. Bum bags. <laughs> no one wears a bum bag in their own country. Fact of life. Take that to the bank. All right, this one, we're going close to home. We're going close to home. <laughs> Who are the tourists? <laughs> to Dubbo on one, two, three. One. No one in their hometown wears I heart my own town. You wear it when you're weird and you go somewhere else. You can spot a tourist from a mile off. It's easy to spot tourists. How do we show that here is not our home? How do we show that we're tourists here? i tell you what, this was one of the parts where I was most surprised looking through the Bible, looking out, looking out for this stuff. I expected that as we went through passages, looking at when Jesus returns and how we should live, they'd just be hectic. 
Just like, just give up everything, fly wherever you can, do something nuts, ditch all your friends, live a crazy life because he's coming back soon. Is that what the Bible says? The big push of the Bible, in light of Jesus coming soon, here is not your home, it says it again and again and again, the big thing you need to make sure you're doing while you wait is live godly lives. Live godly lives. Is that it? Really? Feels like a bit of an anticlimax. It's not really what I was expecting. I thought it was going to be something like that would seem more exciting and bigger and that I was more important and something huge. But this is the thing in the Bible, time and time and time again. We saw it before in 1 Peter. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Titus chapter 2 verse 12 It, the grace of God, it's talking about, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. While we wait, we live godly lives. Here's the last one. We're going to finish on this one. It's really clear. 2 Peter chapter 3. Come to it with me. 2 Peter chapter 3. talking about the day that Jesus will return, how the earth will be destroyed to make room for the new heavens and the new earth that we saw the other night. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. 2 Peter. Never trust the screen. It's a lying fiend. 2 Peter chapter 3. I really hope it's 2 Peter now. It is. talking about the day Jesus returned, how the earth will be destroyed, the new heavens, the new earth, this big day that's coming. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. More than anything, the push of Scripture is as you wait, as you look forward, the thing you've got to do is live holy and godly lives. You want to know what God's plan is for your life? The big thing He wants out of you? Live holy and godly lives. 2 Peter, you'll never forget now. Here's the thing. If you do that, if you are someone living a holy and godly life, It'll be easy for people to play spot the tourist with you. You'll stick out. Here is not your home. We should be living in a way that's so obvious that here is not our home. Is that the case when people look at you? If you aren't killing sin in your life and striving to live a godly life, then you're showing that you're treating here as your home you're not really waiting. Killing sin marks you out as a tourist. This world says that swearing is normal. But here is not our home. 
It's so common for our world to just swear all the time, isn't it? We drop the F-bombs like they're commas. They're everywhere. People are swearing all the time. People at school, at work, at sport. And it's not just swearing, it's broad. It's the filthy language. It's making sexual jokes. It's common in our world. But the Bible is clear that those who trust in Jesus don't do that. Ephesians 5 makes it clear, don't let any unwholesome talk come from your mouth. Christians don't swear. We're not to make filthy jokes. We're not to make sexual jokes. Our king's told us not to. The one who rules everything. The one who's coming back soon. And so you've got a choice as you tour through this world. Will you live like everyone else here? Or will you live like here is not your home? That's a choice you make. And if you choose to live like Jesus tells you to live, you'll look different. We saw that with Oscar before, didn't we, right? He talked about becoming a Christian and how he, he changed and his friends saw it and he started copying it for it. Living like here is not our home will make you stick out. You'll suffer. That's okay. Here is not your home. Heaven is your home. And you know you're going there. And so as you wait for your king, obey him. Do what he says. And he's commanded you to get rid of filthy talk. You're a tourist here. And so make a decision tonight to get rid of filthy talk. Get rid of it. Honestly, sometimes we hear about this type of stuff and we go, we can't. It's, it's not that hard to kill this thing, right? If you, make a, if you make a commitment to do it, it's not that hard. It might mean for a short amount of time, you've got to, you might want to stop listening to music that's influencing you in that way or shows or something like that. But ultimately, it's a simple decision. Will I speak like the world or will I speak like home? Commit tonight to changing the way you speak. Like here is not your home. This world says that you can use sex however you want. But here is not our home. In this world, that's normal. Sleeping around is good. Watching porn or anything dirty is natural. And if you're doing sexual stuff, you're not weird. It's normal. That's the message of the world. And you know the things that are yours there. The stuff that you watch. The things you might listen to. That girl or guy you look at in that way. Those thoughts that you have. That app. You know. But the Bible is clear. Flee, run from sexual immorality. Get away. To live as if here is not our home means to live different sexually. And so will I live like everyone here? Will I live what's normal? Or will I live like here is not my home? Make the choice tonight to flee sexual immorality. Make the choice. Now, this one might not be as easy as kicking swearing wheel, right? This one can be harder. But you can change in this. It is possible to change. Ask God to help you as you do it. It might be that tonight 
you've got to chat to someone about this stuff in this area that you're struggling with. Chances are your leader or someone you trust has struggled with it too. I've now opened the can of it. Everyone's expecting it. Chat to someone about it. Here is not our home. You have a choice. Will you live like it? This world says that greed is good. But this world is not our home. Our world loves stuff. It says get it. Get money. Get stuff. The more things you have, the cooler you are. You've got to have the latest kicks or else you look like an idiot. You've got to keep up with what everyone else looks like or else you look like an idiot. You've got to be up to date in fashion. You've got to get the things that you want. You are what you own. That is the sin of greed that our world says is normal. Always wanting more, never having enough, always needing to keep up with others. The more stuff that you have, the more in line that you are, the safer that you feel. That could not be further from the truth. That could not be more wrong. The more stuff you own, the more you have, the more in danger you are. In Matthew 19, a young bloke comes to Jesus and he's asking, what do I need to do to get to heaven, that new creation? Here's what Jesus answers in verse 22. If you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. He lays it out. How does the guy respond? Verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a hard thing. And you guys are rich. You might not think it, you guys are rich. Money and stuff and that greed are like little ropes tying you down to this world. They're things that keep pushing your gaze down until you just look at here as your home. Here is not your home. You're a tourist. And so will you kill greed? It might mean unfollowing certain people or things. If that's what it's going to take for you to stop longing for more stuff, then do it. Here is not our home. We're waiting for home. And I reckon one of the best things you can do to try and kill greed in your life is to think heaps about heaven. Think heaps about what's coming. When you think more about heaven, the more insignificant all the stuff here becomes, doesn't it? The more, the more you think about and, and, and pray and love the rock-solid, restored and reunited new creation, the more silly the latest iPhone looks, right? Look and think much about your real home. And the stuff and the things here that we're touring through pale in comparison. Will you get rid of greed? Will you live like here is not your home? We've got to remember, here is not our home, live godly lives. Because we're living in, in and amongst this world that is constantly telling us something different, isn't it? We're trying to fix our eyes on our home, 
and it keeps bringing it down and down, and it pulls us until our gaze is down here. And so what things can we do to make sure that we remember here is not our home, live godly lives as we wait? What are the things we do to make sure that we keep that in our vision, that we keep our gaze straight? Because it's hard. It's hard to keep going straight, right? Cars are supposed to go straight. It's kind of their job. When nothing's happened, they're meant to be going straight. But sometimes when your car's getting a bit old, it starts veering. It starts veering off track. And what you need then is a wheel alignment. You need a wheel alignment. You take it to a mechanic like Lockie. Lockie will fix all your cars, right? You take a Lockie and you go, it needs a wheel alignment. And they do the mechanic-y thing. And they align the wheels, right? They straighten them up. The car that actually that started doing this, they fix so it's going straight. They align the wheels, they straighten them up. It keeps it going where it should. It keeps it focused where it should. And so what are the things that, what's the thing that's going to align us? What's our wheel alignment? Here's two. Be Bible people. Be Bible people. It's in here that we are reminded time and time again where our real home is. Over and over. It's in here that we're told how we should really live, what God really wants of us. The Bible is the ultimate wheel alignment for our life. Over and over again. Because in here that you're going to see how beautiful your real home is. The rock solid, restored, reunited new creation. It's in here you'll see how terrible hell is. And how you should never do anything that's putting you in danger of going there. It's in here that you see how, how evil your sin is and how you should be motivated to fight it. It's all in here. It's, it's through the Word of God that the Spirit works in you to help you do those things. Be Bible people. And that's why we're a Bible youth. You should have picked it up so far on fat, right? We get the Bible out whenever we get the chance. It's our big thing. If we ever stop preaching from this, just get out. Go somewhere else. This is our thing. We're Bible people. Do you want to know one of my favorite sounds in the world? Number two is cooking bacon and the pops, right? Number one is the sound of you guys flicking through your Bible to see what we're reading. What a sound. Be Bible people. I want Eva Youth to always be full of people who love the Bible. Always. And not just at youth, not just at fat, but people who are Bible people when they're at home. Who can't help but read it when they're home. You know, you, you'll talk to someone who's struggling in sin, who's maybe struggling with porn or remembering here is not their home in other ways. And they, and they say, I've tried everything to stop. I can't. And you ask them, how are you going reading your Bible? It's often not good. Here's the ultimate wheel alignment. It's reading the Word of God that will change you. You're still doing other stuff and making plans, but it's the Word of God that will do a big work in you to change you. And so we're not just Bible people at fat at youth, we're Bible people at home. Saying you don't have time is not an excuse for it, is it, really? 
I've done that before. I love that line. It's, it's not really an excuse because reading the Bible is the most important thing we could ever do. It should be our top priority. It's our big thing. Every day that we don't read the Bible and we're not realigned, Satan says, thank you very much. Great. Do you want to know something sick? You can actually change. If you find it hard to read the Bible, you can actually change and start reading it. You can do that. You can go from being someone who doesn't read it or really struggles to read it to someone who does read it. I'm going to get Maddie up for a second. Can you give Maddie a hand? Yeah? I'm going to steal a mic from somewhere. I'm taking this one. It's called the microphone. Fox 2. There you go, Maddie. Maddie is an example of someone, just one, of, of example of someone who has changed in this. So, Maddie, what's your name? Maddie. Nailed it. Absolutely nailed it, right. Um, give us a fun fact about yourself. That's oh. really on the spot. <laughs> um, I am American. What? <laughs> Spot the tourists. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, right? Um, now, we were talking before, and you were saying that you came to fat in year 10, 11, and you were someone who struggled to read the Bible. What changed for you in that week? Um, so, yeah, so my year 10 or 11 fat, um, which is like three, four years ago now, um, Something, something just changed at that fact. I was really convicted to, to read my Bible. I was challenged um, on the fact that the Bible is the, you know, the word of God, and it is something that is valuable and not a chore. And so I was challenged by the person speaking at the time, and I got back from fat, and I was just like, yep, I just read my Bible now. That's just what I do. Um, and I continued in that to this day. It's something that's equipped me. It's something that has made me stronger. It is something that I go to when I am unable to um, figure out what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, yeah, that was, that was pretty much it. I was just really convicted that the Bible is something that's important. So why wouldn't I read it? And you still read it now? Yeah. How good is that? Isn't that exciting? Thanks, Matt. Give Matt your hand. That's just a short, quick example you can make a decision to be a Bible reader and you can do it. People have done it. If you find it hard, you're among a bunch of people who do, you can be a Bible person, read your Bible. You can do it, the ultimate wheel alignment. And so plan tonight, when you get home, what part of the day will you read the Bible in? Plan for it. Do it. Pray tonight that God would help you by His Spirit to read His Word so that you can be Bible people, be aligned, see your real home as your home, to help you live godly lives. Be Bible people. And here's the second one, and we're finishing on this one. Be gathered people. Be Bible people and be gathered people. Come with me to Hebrews chapter 10. It's our last flick of the night. There's that sound I love. Unfortunately, no bacon to go with it. It's a nice sound. 
Hebrews 10, 24. It's talking about stuff we should do as we see the day of Jesus returning, approaching. You'll see it in there. What should we do? Hebrews 10, 24. And let us, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. As you see the day of Jesus' return approaching, getting closer and closer and closer, one of the big things you got to do is make sure you keep gathering with other brothers and sisters, gathering with Christians. Because it's as we gather that you get to remind me of where my home is. It's as we gather that you get to remind me, keep living a godly life, keep going. It's as we gather that I get to remind you of those things. But Christianity is a team sport. It's not a solo sport. Like, Archery. Is that a sport? I don't know, right? It is a team sport. I need you in my life as a Christian. You need me in your life as a Christian. And so that's why youth on a Friday, fat, G teams, church on a Sunday, whatever it is, that's why it's such a top priority. It's not, should I go to that thing I like? It's, will I go and gather with God's people as I see the day approaching? Be gathered people. That's why I love singing so much. We're singing true things at each other to remind us, here isn't our home, look at what's true. Live godly lives, look what's true. So here's Jordan's top tip for singing. Look around as you sing. Have a gaze at people. Look, because you're teaching me stuff. You're reminding me of truths. I'm doing it for you. And so look around. Gathered people. If you're in a G team, hold on to it. What an epic time of gathering that is. If you're not in a G team, get in one. If you don't know what one is, ask your leader about it. It's our small groups where we get to dig into the Bible and be Bible people, and we get to gather with brothers and sisters and be gathered people. If you're in one but you don't go much, get in it. Get amongst it. Be gathered, people. Fat is literally the easiest springboard into getting into a G team you could ever ask for because you're already in one. Just keep being in it. Work out with your G team, with your leader, what are you, when are you going to meet? Where are you going to meet? Work it out here so that you keep doing it and shake each other to do it. When someone's not there, man, where were you? We missed you. I missed you. I didn't get you encouraging me. I couldn't encourage you. Can you come next time to help me out as we see the day approaching? Guys, Jesus, our glorious King of the universe, our Saviour, is coming soon. He's coming really soon. Don't be caught off guard. Don't. Remember, here is not our home. We're passing through. We're tourists. As we wait, live godly lives as he's told us to. And to keep that on the front of your mind, to always be aligned, be Bible people and be gathered people. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you that you have raised Jesus, your son from the dead, and seated him at your right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, in the present age now and forever and ever. We praise you that he is the king of the universe right now, and we praise you that you have set a day when he will come back. We thank you for the time we have on this earth, but we pray that as we're here, you'd help us to remember here is not our home. Heaven is our home. And so as we wait for the day when Jesus returns, please help us live godly lives. It can be so hard for us, and we're reminded of our sin in it so often, but we pray that by your Spirit, you would change us to be people who live godly lives. Would you help us to be people who love your Word, love it so much, can't help but read it. For those of us who struggle with it, Lord, please help us to be those who read your Word. And we want to thank you that you, in your great wisdom and kindness, have given us the gathering of your people And so we praise you for this week when we've got to gather together all the time. And we pray that we would always be people who gather and remind each other of where our home is. And we pray and plead that you would send Jesus back soon. Amen.